What's up, guys? Welcome to Real Live Talk. Thanks for joining me. I'm Duke Lamastra. Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different on this podcast today. And I'm going to just kind of talk about some of the things that have been piling up in my brain that I haven't had a chance to discuss or that don't really merit the, a full episode to discuss or something like that. Just things that I've been thinking about either in my mind or things that have been on my heart to share with you or to talk about, uh, but just haven't had a chance to. I was thinking about how it's a uh, leap day. It's February 29th. And that doesn't always happen. We didn't have this day last year. And I was sitting here thinking about how we have an extra day this month and what we normally do. So I'm going to take this extra day as an opportunity to talk about some of the extra things <laughs> just on my mind that I haven't had a chance to uh, get off my chest. So forgive me because I feel like I'll just warn you ahead of time, feel like I'm going to do some ranting in this in this episode. So just a uh, fair warning, but appreciate you guys for being here. If you're watching live on the Facebook page or the YouTube channel or something like that. Do me a favor and uh, hit the like button, subscribe, something like that. Really, really appreciate it. Um, if you're watching or excuse me, listening on one of the podcast platforms, uh, give, given a, a, a follow, subscribing to the podcast, leaving a comment or a review, anything like that is super, super helpful. So thank you guys so much in advance for that. I'm just going to kind of go rapid fire on these. The first thing I want to talk about is AI, artificial intelligence. I talk about it a lot, but I haven't had a chance to talk about uh, Sora. So if you're not familiar with this uh, fairly new tool now, what is it, maybe two weeks old at this point, uh, this tool called Sora, S-O-R-A, that was released by OpenAI, not even really released in terms of it's not out there available for, for really public consumption yet, but it's this tool that is a text-to-video tool. And if you haven't checked it out yet, just Google it, uh, OpenAI, Sora, the same company that's behind ChatGPT, OpenAI. So Sora, it's kind of been a, a soft release. There's a, a handful of, of people, I, I, don't, I don't know, there's some people that have been able to get their hands on it and to play around with it and some programmers that have been able to produce some videos and that sort of thing. And it's pretty incredible. I believe hundreds of videos have been produced at this point, maybe more. And there's basically what it can do, this, this uh, tool, just in case you're not familiar, it's a text to video AI tool. So just like with ChatGPT, if you're familiar with that, it's a, you know, you give it text prompts, you type in whatever you want. You can say, write me a short story about a monkey meeting a janitor at a high school uh, and make it funny and, you know, whatever. And you can put in these different prompts and it will immediately, it will instantaneously spit out a story for you following those prompts that you gave it. I really like one of the things I really like about uh, ChatGPT is uh, just being able to use it for like Bible study purposes, just helping me find things so I don't have to go digging through different things. There's a lot of things about it that are that are really, really helpful and kind of fun to play around with. But anyway, so the the new tool Sora, it's text prompts. So you can be as specific as you want with these text prompts and you can read when you see the different videos, you can read what the text prompt is and then the video that it produced, that it generated as a result. And it's really these breathtaking videos. There's a handful that I've seen that don't look quite right, but most of them, they look amazing down to reflections and shadows that are being produced, movements, movement of hair, movement of, I mean, you're, you're talking about creating a real-to-life looking human with a text prompt that's talking, communicating, whatever. It's 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 pretty incredible. 
And so I would I would just encourage you to check it out just to see what it is if you have not uh, already done that. But what's really, really fascinating about this, basically what they're saying is at the point that it's at now, they can create up to a one minute long video that where it holds up, where the graphics hold up, that they have the capability right now of creating videos up to one minute. These are all short videos. They're not like full length movies or anything like that. But based on these text prompts that are entered in, and it creates this video. This is this is amazing. This is going to be amazing for content creation, for being able to create, you know, if this be becomes available, which I, I'm pretty sure shortly, maybe sometime later this year or something like that, maybe be available for mass public use. Uh, being able to use this for creating videos, for content creation, using it for B-roll, like as you're talking, you can kind of think like, oh, it'd be nice to see this happening kind of overlaid or in the background of what I'm talking about in the video. If you want some kind of a, well, a waterfall cascading, if you want some kind of a, whatever it might be, rather than scouring the internet, looking for those short video clips, you can create your own uh, theoretically with this tool. But what's really unbelievable is that, I mean, it just seems like within a very, very short period of time, you know, maybe within the next couple of years that you're going to be able to text prompt this an AI generation tool to create like movies, which is going to be wild to be able to create full length movies. I mean, this is the thing that I, uh, you know, a big part of that Hollywood actors strike was about. Uh, I mean, this is this is really kind of taking shape. This is like a big deal. When I when I saw the the Sora thing the day it came out, I was like, yo, this is next level this is game changing it's super crazy the crazy thing about it too is that when something like this happens when something like this is presented to the public there's a really really good chance that the people that are creating it are already like two to three iterations above the one that they're showing us now so the one that they're showing us now is probably just a fraction of what can actually be done with this thing. And they're just not releasing it to the public yet. Even the version that they have, the reason why it's not out for everybody to use at the recording of this video is because they they understand the implications of this, but the potential implications. And they're saying, we only want to release this to a few people to, to play around with it. I think they're trying to probably work out some bugs and kinks, kind of like... Um, uh, you know, releasing a beta or something like that to just a select group of people so that they can play with it. But anyway, if you haven't checked it out, Sora at OpenAI, it's it's unreal. It's unreal. And just the implications of what this is going to do. I mean, if you think about this, like maybe a couple of years from now, and maybe even quicker, the way that this stuff is moving, the speed at which these things are 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 happening today, it's just crazy. But I was just thinking about this. It's like you can, for content creation, for creative type jobs that are going to be coming available, the things you're going to be able to do with this kind of technology. I was just thinking about it. I mean, you can create a, a, a movie, you know, if it gets to the point where you can create a movie, that's crazy. Uh, think about like even just being able to create and produce like a podcast, let's say, and you create these humans that are having a podcast. You say what you want it to be about. These people can be incredibly intelligent because they're just AI generated. They can look absolutely real where you cannot distinguish them between real people and AI. You can make them look as beautiful, as handsome, as whatever as you want. You can create a podcast content dialogue that's really never ending. And meanwhile, you're in the background like monetizing this thing 
and you know using it as a business and creating like a really uh, amazing podcast creating all kinds of content whatever and meanwhile it's not even real people it's somebody with a laptop uh just using text prompts and using ai generation software and just creating this thing i mean the the it's crazy this is going to be wild things are about to get so crazy. It's already crazy. And I've already talked about this many times on the podcast with the deep fake technology, just the way this stuff is developing where it's already, you know, a little bit tricky sometimes to tell, like, is that real? I can't tell if that's real or if that's AI generated. I can't tell, you know, that stuff is just going to be getting worse and worse and worse. But uh, it's pretty crazy. The days that we're living in a lot of opportunity being created, but at the same time, just a lot of, for me, the annoying part of it is that aspect of how do I know what's real, what's not real? How do I know if I can trust this, not trust this, whatever? But anyway, the, the software is just unbelievable. Sora, OpenAI, it's pretty, pretty crazy. So anyway, just wanted to touch on that for just a second. Number two, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. What is biblical success? And, and I know these thoughts, listen, look, I'm going to share a, a handful of things. None of these things are going to connect together. And uh, it's probably going to just seem very annoying, like I'm all over the place. But um, look, it's leap day. You didn't have, it's an extra day. So I'm just, I'm just doing it. So what is biblical success? Because I just, I've been seeing all kinds of uh, just content lately, videos, just all kinds of stuff about uh, people talking about success from different viewpoints, people talking about, you know, all these different ways to create money and to generate wealth and all this different stuff. And I think that in the day that we're living in today, we can very, very easily fall into a trap of not really understanding what biblical success is really all about. And we can think that, well, I'm not successful because I'm not a millionaire. I'm not successful because I'm not making this level of money. And we can do that thing where we begin to compare ourselves to other people. The thing about it is um, when it comes to success from a biblical standpoint, it's not about what you have. It's really not about how much of something you have. It's about your faithfulness to be a good steward of what the Lord has given to you, what the Lord has blessed you with, what the Lord has brought into your life, what the Lord has brought into your hands. Because the reality is, is that we are administrators. We are stewards of the things of God. That job that you have, that house that you own, the cars that you drive, the family that you have, the money in your bank account, the clothes on your back, in your closet, whatever, the stuff that you have. You are called by God to be a steward of the things that he has placed in your hands. I don't own anything. The reality is I don't own anything. The billionaires of this world, they don't own anything. This world belongs to the Lord. And so we're called to be stewards of the things that God has placed into our hands. And so when it comes to success, I believe that stewarding well the things of God, including the assignment, including the calling of God on your life, including the purpose that you have. And I know there's people out there that don't believe in everybody's individual purpose and all this stuff. And they think that to talk about a Christian and their purpose and whatever, their assignment from God, that it's narcissistic and that God doesn't think about us on that level, that we're just here to serve him. And One second. All right. I don't know what happened there. Cut out for a second. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So when, when Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. 
I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And that the Lord speaking specifically to Jeremiah, but the Lord is no respecter of persons. He didn't favor Jeremiah over you. He didn't favor Moses over you. He didn't favor uh, Benny Hinn or, <laughs> or Joel Osteen or, or whoever over you. And so speaking to Jeremiah, I believe that it is a it shows us about the way that God thinks about us. I believe that it that it gives us a glimpse into the heart of God with the way that he thinks about each and every one of us, the way that he formed us, the way that he designed us, the way that he created us. So when he says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, not everybody is called to be a prophet like Jeremiah was. However, you do have an assignment. I believe you have an assignment from God on your life, that there is something that the Lord has designed you for, created you for, sanctified you, or set you apart for, something that he's created you and destined you for. And within the context of that, I believe that there is meant to be success. I believe that in the context of that, there is the ability, there is the opportunity to generate and create wealth. Now, wealth does not mean that you have to be, you know, a millionaire. It doesn't mean you have to be a billionaire. And it certainly doesn't mean that you compare yourself to other people saying, this is what I have, this is whatever. It's the, the idea is that proportionate with the assignment that God has given you, that you have more than enough to accomplish that which he has called you to accomplish in life. So I believe that that wealth, I believe that success is an outflow or the byproduct of our obedience to what the Lord has called us to do. Now, granted, we don't always do it perfectly. Granted, you know, I'm not saying there won't be seasons of dryness, seasons of desert, seasons of whatever, seasons where there's not as, as much as there is in other seasons. I understand all that. And we should remember what Paul says that he says, I learned in whatever state that I'm in to be content. I've learned to have nothing. I've learned to have a lot. I've learned to be content with being a base and and uh, yeah, and abound and abounding. I, I've learned to be content in whatever state of life that I'm in. So we do not need to uh, adopt this mindset of entitlement where we say, well, because I'm a king's kid, because I belong to God, I should never be this. I should never experience this. I should never experience lack. And we can, and we use that to kind of point our finger at God when things are not working the way that we want them to work. No, we are in a partnership relationship with the father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. It's based on our agreement with him. And I believe that we need to stop defining success by what we have in the bank and begins defining success by our obedience to the plan and the calling and the purpose of God for our lives. Because for one, that might look for one, that's going to look very, very different than for another. And because one person makes 50 grand a year and another person makes a million dollars a month or whatever, it doesn't mean that the millionaire is better than the person who's making $50,000 a year. It doesn't mean that, but I believe that within the context of what the Lord has called us to, that we should have more than enough to accomplish the assignment that he's called us to accomplish, that he's called us to fulfill with our lives. And so I just think the idea of, you know, of success, the, the world talks so much about success. And if you're not making this level of money, you're not successful. And we could maybe have a conversation about financial success versus overall success, but even that. I don't think you can call it, maybe I'm naive, I don't know, but I don't think you can call it financial success 
if you're like screwing other people over in order to get there. I mean, yeah, you're generating money, you're generating wealth, but if you're doing it in a way that's hurting other people, if you're doing it in a way that's just, you know, causing everybody to think you're a heartless douchebag, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like if you're doing it in a way that uh, you're going against your own, you know, morals or you're going against a value system that you have or used to have or whatever. I just don't think we can consider that true success. There's lots of wealthy people that are really miserable. I don't know if I would call that success, but I do think we've done something particularly in the in the body of Christ where we've demonized you know wealth and we've demonized a certain level of financial prosperity and well-being and that sort of thing. And I think that we operate too often on extremes. And while, you know, you being successful in terms of having lots of money and wealth and that sort of thing, I don't think that's God's number one priority for your life. I also don't think that he has a problem with it as long as you're not replacing him with those things, right? I think that's where we get into trouble because we can look at, you know, whoever we want to look at, I don't even want to throw names out there right now, but we can look at, um, you know, somebody who's a successful preacher, minister, um, evangelist, whatever. And we can say, well, they shouldn't have that much money. They shouldn't have that much wealth. They shouldn't drive that kind of car. They shouldn't have that private plane. They shouldn't live in that kind of house. They shouldn't whatever. And I don't know whether they should or not, but the thing about it is like, that's not your responsibility and it's not my responsibility to say what they should or shouldn't have. Um, and, and I think that the answer to, you know, what is too much, a, a friend of mine, uh, Jim Baker, he says, how much money is too much or how much wealth is too much? Well, it's whatever replaces your trust in God. I think that's a really good point. <laughs> I think that's a really good point because if it replaces your trust in God, it doesn't matter if it's a hundred dollars, doesn't matter if it's a thousand dollars, doesn't matter if it's a million dollars. If it's replacing your trust in God, then your focus is on the wrong thing. That money is ultimately, it's probably going to destroy you or it's probably going to hurt you more than help you. Money itself is not bad. The love of money, excuse me, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil is what the scripture says. The love of money. It's when we put our faith, when we put our hope, when we put our expectation in money, when we put our expectation, when we put our hope, when we rest our dependence on the job that we have, our ability to make an income, whatever, then that's where we get into this. We get out of sync in our relationship with God, and that's where we get into trouble. So anyway, I think I went off the rails a little bit on that, but the point is that biblical success is not defined by how much of a resource or how much of anything you have. I think we need to look at success as, am I being faithful to the assignment that God has given to me in this season of my life? And if I can say yes to that question, I believe that I am successful. And I also believe that that wealth and resource and all of that is the byproduct of walking, uh, sustaining that lifestyle of living, trusting God, living dependent on the Holy Spirit, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice, because yes, God speaks to you, 
listening to his voice and being faithful to that thing that he's called us to do. So stop comparing yourself to other people. If someone else is making more money than you or advancing quicker than you in something or whatever, don't compare yourself because that's not how we define success. Success is not how quickly you move up the rungs on a ladder. Success is, are you being a good steward of the thing that God has placed in your hands and the thing that God has called you to today? Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. If you disagree or you have some other thoughts or if you think that's an incomplete assessment, uh, probably is, but if that's an incomplete assessment, let me know and we'll talk about it. Number three, (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble. All right. I actually don't have my thoughts fully rounded out on this one yet, but I've got a bunch of friends in Alabama. I recently moved from Alabama to Texas about a, just a little over a year ago. So Alabama Supreme court recently had a ruling. It was on uh, February 16th. So like 13 days ago, they had this ruling that embryos created through in vitro fertilization should be considered children. So there was a, and forgive me if I'm getting details wrong on this and you can correct me, please correct me. Uh, There was a lawsuit that involved three couples because at a, in an IVF um, clinic or whatever, somebody, I think it was a patient from what I read, got into this room where they cryo store embryos. So they're sub-zero, you know, temperatures, frozen embryos, because what happens is, and I was kind of learning about this because this is actually not something I've ever thought about. I've talked uh, a little bit on the podcast about uh, abortion, my stance on abortion. I'm completely against abortion. Um, I've done a couple of episodes where I've, I've talked about it and I've explained why that sort of thing. I've never really thought about this from the perspective of, in vitro fertilization and embryos being created through that IVF process. I've never thought about it because what happens is a lot, uh, it's kind of normal procedure when you're going through the process of in vitro fertilization, of course it's, it's expensive and it's not always effective on the first go around. So what they'll do is they'll fertilize, um, you know, multiple eggs, they'll create multiple embryos, and usually they'll they'll implant one or maybe two, from my understanding, um, into the the woman. And the other embryos that have been created, they'll freeze them. I think sometimes they'll freeze them. Sometimes they'll donate them. Sometimes they will uh, actually just have them destroyed. Uh, sometimes I, I think I read this. If I'm remembering this correctly, sometimes they'll they'll implant them um, and allow them to just kind of dissolve within the the human. Um, I, and I don't think they do that a whole lot because it's kind of uh, an expensive procedure and whatever. But anyway, there's different ways that they can either store for the future or or dispose of these embryos and really think about in, in, in embryo, it's the very beginning of life. I never thought about that before about, you know, going through the in vitro fertilization process and creating multiple embryos and having some that are stored for the future to maybe use later and maybe not. Maybe they just stay there in that facility forever. Maybe they eventually get destroyed or whatever the case may be. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, that. so, so that's the question. It's, it's a part of this conversation that I've never personally considered before because I never really thought about it before because I didn't really know, I never really looked into the procedures and how this all works for it, for in vitro fertilization. But um, obviously this is something that's helpful for many, many people that uh, either can't get pregnant or whatever the case may be and they really want to have a child. So they go through the IVF process. And but what this what this ruling did with the Alabama Supreme Court. So what happened was these uh, some there were some couples that had cryo stored some extra embryos that had gone through themselves the in vitro fertilization process. And these embryos were dropped uh, and they were destroyed and they filed some different lawsuits. And I believe one of the lawsuits was using the, um, what is it called? It's the, uh, wrongful debt. What is it? I think I have it written down. Let me see. Um, yeah, the wrong wrongful death of a minor act, I think is what it's called. Basically saying that the embryo is a, is a person, it's a life. And so for it to be destroyed, it's actually either murder or wrongful death. And so they filed this wrongful death suit and the Alabama Supreme court uh, ruled that those embryos are actually, they should be considered children. And so now there's these clinics in Alabama that are like freaking out because they don't know what to do. There's clinics that have stopped the, their procedures, their in vitro fertilization procedures, because they don't know, like if they do something, if a mistake is made, because there are times where even just completely unintentionally that it, an embryo will become lost. It'll be not, I don't mean lost, like they can't find it, but it'll become, uh, it'll, it'll die for lack of a better word. And so now they're, they're, there's people that are afraid, doctors that, that are afraid, like, am I going to be charged with murder? Am I going to be charged with wrongful death? because of this. And so there's people that don't know what to do now. And so anyway, I don't even know what my thoughts are on this yet, because I hadn't really had enough time to think about it. But it's just something that I've been th I've been thinking about. And I've been reading up on this and just trying to figure out like, because um, it seems to me like it, it makes sense that an embryo is a life it's the beginning stages of life. And so is it what do you think about it? I, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I think ethically, morally, from a pro-life perspective, which I'm very, very pro-life, but from a pro-life perspective, um, is in vitro fertilization uh, okay? The way these procedures are done where more embryos are created than what are necessary. And you think about it, you think from, from the perspective of, well, yeah, if we say that that's a life, that's a life that never would have been created um, except for this procedure. So if we never allow it to fully, you know, germinate and turn into a life, is that okay? Or is that not okay? And so just kind of thinking through some of the ethical and moral and again, spiritual uh, primarily implications on this, curious to see what you guys think. But I know that this is like a wild scenario with this Supreme Court ruling in the state of Alabama, because as you know, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade back in, was it 20, when was that? I wanted to say 2019, but it seems like it should have been more, a little more recent than that. Um, maybe it was 21. But anyway, with the overturning of Roe of, of Roe v. Wade, and uh, you know, with certain states adopting, like Texas being one of them, some very very strict rules and laws around 
uh, abortions and things of that nature. And now with something like this, with Alabama adopting this, it seems like other states are going to probably perhaps follow suit and do the same thing or something similar. And it's it's pretty crazy. Previously, the law in Alabama, as far as I understand it, the law in Alabama was uh, for basically embryos in utero. So not not through not embryos created through IVF, but only when a child was actually conceived in the womb, was it considered a life? This recent uh, Alabama Supreme Court ruling uh, is basically saying that even embryos that are created through IVF procedures are considered alive. They're considered people. And so to destroy them could be um, considered wrongful death of a minor uh, under this new ruling. So it's a it's a wild procedure. It's a it's a wild thing, you know, being from a pro-life perspective, it's like, uh, anytime we are doing something that is pro-life, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it, but I'm looking at this from a perspective of, well, they've already got all these, I mean, millions. Uh, I think it's, well, anyway, over a million for sure, embryos that are currently being stored in these kinds of, these in vitro uh, facilities, clinics, hospitals, whatever, around the country. And if they begin ruling on these things, it's like, well, what do you do with those? Do you have to now by law implant them into somebody <laughs> to allow them to grow and to become a life? Do you, or do you have to leave them frozen forever because to uh, you know have them destroyed would be murder? Like, what does this actually do? What does this look like? Where does this go? It's a pretty wild thing. I'm still thinking about this and trying to think about it from as biblical of a perspective as possible, but um, it's new territory for me, and so I'm still working through some of these issues on my own, but uh, I do know that it's um, affecting some people uh, in some pretty heavy uh, ways right now in the state of Alabama. So yeah, love to hear your thoughts, what you guys think on that. Number four, discrimination is stupid. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much. Well, let me just say, I um, why why did I say that? I I was thinking recently about how like things like racism, prejudice, discrimination, these things exist always to give one group of people the upper hand or an unfair advantage over another group of people, and if like, it's just so stupid. It's so stupid. Whether we're talking about socioeconomic stuff or we're talking about the color of your skin or whatever we're talking about to discriminate against somebody else because you want to have an unfair advantage over them. It's so dumb. It's so silly. And it's like every time we've done that in the past, it's been to our own detriment. Like the moment in this country, like the moment when we stopped like actively preventing African Americans from being able to participate in like fill in the blank, whether it was a sport or if it was, you know, uh, being able to act or being able to, uh, you know, be involved in some kind of art form or something like that. Like every across the board, everything got so much better <laughs> like like and i don't even just i'm not even trying to belittle this because this that's just that's just like a, a very very small example but you get what i'm saying like 
like if, if we're holding people back, we're not letting people participate because we, because my group, I want my group to have this unfair advantage and I want us to excel and I want us to succeed over these people. What we're actually doing is we're limiting our own progress. We're limiting our own progress by thinking that only people that are like us, that look like us, that think like us, that whatever, that only people that are like us can do can participate in this and so we create we perpetuate that us versus them mentality that us versus them thing and we every single time we do that we not only hurt the people that we're keeping out but we hurt ourselves as well we hurt everything we hurt everybody because we don't we are not as good when we're alone we're not as good when we i mean if if you're if we're discriminating against uh, somebody and and saying they can't participate on this basis because of this then we're just we're, we're not as good now hey by the way cuz i was just kind of listening to myself talk there i'm not saying that i'm not talking about you know men com and competing in women's sports and women comp i'm not talking about that at all i'm talking about when we discriminate based on things like race when we discriminate based on things like class, uh, to say that we should have women's sports and men's sports, I don't believe that's discrimination at all. Um, but but <laughs> so don't don't uh, misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying like every every single time throughout our history that we have held somebody else back and not allowed them to participate because of again whether if it's race whatever it is it's hindered progress and it's caused us to not go forward so anyway uh, i just wanted to say that it felt good to say discrimination is stupid don't do it uh you know these things like prejudice and racism they're not always like up in your face it's one thing when like there's like racism that's up in your face uh there was this old uh, Dave Chappelle bit where he talked about that, where he's like, sometimes you just, you're just like, wow, that was racist. <laughs> that was really racist where it's just very blatant and in your face and it's obvious. And it's kind of like, oh, okay. That's almost less dangerous uh, in, in terms of speech, right? Because if somebody's being like openly, so this is why I don't think we should take free speech away. Because if there's somebody out there who's, you know, blatantly saying that they hate this group of people or that's saying that, that you know, they're against this group of people or whatever, it's kind of like when you see it openly and blatantly, it's kind of like, okay, well, we know that we can openly condemn that as, as wrong, as ignorant, as stupid, as foolish. But it's kind of like the closeted stuff, the behind the scenes prejudicial stuff that is overall in general speaking in generality is more like sinister like the stuff that's kind of just interwoven into the fabric of stuff uh where people are are belittled or looked at as less than or held down or held back even in in small ways and a lot of times i i think it even happens subconsciously where you look at somebody different based on whether it's the color of their skin or what neighborhood they're from or how much money they have or whatever. And it's all this kind of stuff that I just think that speaking from a Christian perspective, I think we need to actively within ourselves, we need to actively fight against those things. If you see those tendencies, if you, if you kind of see those things welling up from time to time, those thoughts going through your head or whatever, it's just one of those things that sometimes I think that it happens without us even realizing it. We can have these kind of 
quiet prejudices that we don't even realize that affect us. And it can affect the way that we treat other people. I mean, I think that on some level, everybody probably treats certain people differently. And not necessarily due to racism or anything like that, but just because, you know, if, if there's somebody who thinks like you, who looks like you, who talks like you, who acts like you, who's into the same stuff that you're into, you might have a tendency just to be more drawn to honoring that person a little bit more than somebody else. And I just think that the the Lord calls us to honor and esteem others better than ourselves, not just those that we agree with or that look like us or that are agreeable to us or whatever. So uh, anyway, discrimination is stupid. Don't do it. All right. Number five. Uh, oh, do I even want to do this one? The Lakewood church shooting. Um, there was this shooting at uh, Lakewood church, Joel Osteen's church. The church is about 16 minutes from my house, I think. And I've never been there. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know anything about it. However, it was it was really gross to me uh, to to see instantly watching like videos, clips, things that happen, whether it's an interview with Joel Osteen after the shooting or if it's, you know, just anything related to the Lakewood Church shooting that took place. Of course, it's a it's a tragic thing that happened. Of course, it never should have happened. But to just look at the comments, just to look at the the hatred, I think it's hatred to look at the hatred of people in these comments, just like it's a tragic thing that just happened. And then there's all these comments of like, like, well, it serves them right for teaching these things in their church. Well, it's, it's and, and just all these things about, um, you know, Joel Osteen, like, like mocking the situation because Joel Osteen is like, you know, looks like he's smiling as he's talking. That dude can't not smile. All right. Like <laughs> that dude has a permanent smile plastered on his face. I mean, the dude was crying. I watched the thing where he was crying and he's still smiling. So like, I'm just saying we're, we're so quick to judge people. We're so quick to judge somebody else's fruit when we have no idea about the seeds that they planted. We're, we're so quick to, to just spew hatred on people. This and this is not just like this is the church that I'm talking. This is people in the church. This is people that call themselves Christians that speak from a place of of hatred because they have an idea about what this is and whether those ideas are right or wrong. I don't know, but to speak from a place of of hatred and condemnation in a moment where people are obviously hurting and freaked out and terrified and something tragic just happened. Uh, it was just really, really disgusting to me. And that's just an example of of the kind of thing that happens everyone. Obviously, on the Internet, there's just so much negativity, uh, no matter what. There's always going to be it could be the most positive thing in the world. And there's going to be people that find something negative to say about it. And I don't think we should necessarily take all that stuff seriously. But when I see Christians making a mockery of something, even in the midst of tragedy, when like we could use it as an opportunity to pray for those people, we could use it as an opportunity to love and to embrace and to express Christ likeness. Uh, but instead, we take it as an opportunity to just spew more hate, hate speech. <laughs> it's like, yeah, free country, free speech, do what you want. But if you're a, a Christian, 
you should inform your mouth and be careful about the words that are coming out and try not to just love speaking the truth, but to actually speak the truth in love because there's a difference there. I'm just speaking the truth, brother. I got to say what I got to say because it's the truth. Okay, but if you're speaking the truth, air quotes, and you're not doing it from a place of love, what does 1 Corinthians chapter 13 say about love? It says you can have all these things, right? Like you can prophesy and you can have all wisdom and all knowledge and you can give everything you have for the poor. You can give your body to be martyred. You can do all these, these things that we would say are very, very praiseworthy and honorable and amazing things. But if you do it, if you do all those things and you have not love, it says you are a uh, what does it say? You are like a gong, a clanging brass, a clanging cymbal. I forget what the words are, but something very unpleasant to the ears. So if you're if you're speaking all this truth and it's not coming from a motivation of love, you probably need to shut up, work those issues out <laughs> so that you can see what your motivation is. Because if you're speaking truth, if you're speaking true things, but it's not coming from a place of love, you are like just it's noise. It's just noise. And the last thing that this world needs, the last thing that we need is more noise. I told you I was going to rant and uh, I'm sorry. I hope it's, it, it's coming from love. It's not, <laughs> it's coming from love. I promise you. All right. Number six. All right. Let's get a little bit more lighthearted here. All right. Number six things that have been on my mind lately. Should we, or shouldn't we use AI tools for ministry? So um, one of the things I've been doing more of lately is uh, just using things like ChatGPT just for Bible study purposes, you know, for me, like to help me find stuff, to help me find uh, scriptures that talk about this. You can use Google in kind of the same way, but with Google, you've got to put in a prompt, you know, you say um, scriptures that deal with revelation or scriptures that deal with baptism or scriptures that deal with finances or whatever. And then you'll get this typical thing like 25 verses on finances and like eight of them are really on finances and the rest of them are are just like fluff. But when you the thing I like about ChatGPT is like it's a it's an ongoing conversation so I can say uh can you show me can you give me 12 examples of whatever 12 examples of faithfulness uh in the Old Testament. And it'll be like sure and da -da -da -da, instantly. So I don't have to go click on an article and read past some garbage at the beginning that I don't care about. Like I can go and it's right there. It's for me. If I'm not happy with what I get, then I can keep the conversation going and say, okay, well, I don't have to say, okay, great. Like I'm actually talking to somebody, but I, but I could type, can I have 12 more please? And it'll say, sure. And it'll give me 12 more. And I can keep things going like that. And then I can tweak it and I can say, can you, show me examples of the same thing in the gospel of Matthew. And, and I, can, I can just, you can do whatever you can play around with it. And it seems like it's a little bit more just personalized. It's quicker because it's right there. And, you know, there's certain things you're going to want to fact check it. You're going to want to look, look up the Bible verses and make sure that it's actually giving you the right information because it's not perfect, but it's a cool tool. Now that versus like using AI to create your whole sermon using AI to write your whole book for you. I had a conversation with a, with a pastor friend just this past week 
about that, about just like the, the ethics behind using AI to write a book for you and then publishing it as your own. Like I just personally have a, have a huge ethical dilemma with that, a moral dilemma. I mean, first of all, I didn't write it. So like, if I'm going to put something out in my name that I didn't write, then it, it's kind of like, it's like if I'm writing something, not to pedestalize myself, because obviously I'm human and I'm, I'm very, very flawed. But if I'm writing something, I can write something under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Like there's times when I'm writing where I'm, I'm kind of writing based on knowledge. Then all of a sudden, like it's like this switch gets turned and I feel like I'm writing straight just like revelation from the Lord that I'm receiving in that moment. Like, oh, I never thought about this before. And it's a process where things come out in that writing that I'm not saying it's brand new information for everybody, but it's new for me. And I'm very much involved in that process. My humanness is involved in that process. And I think the collaboration of humanity with God is why we all exist in the first place. And it's important. I just think it's, it's an important aspect of this. And so if I'm using AI to create the thing to create the book, to create the work of art, to create whatever, it, it's not bearing anybody's soul. And and an artificial intelligence tool cannot, I don't think, can be led by the spirit. It can be programmed, and it has been programmed. So the other part of this is like, originally these AI, these uh, large uh, language softwares like ChatGPT, these things were trained with all kinds of knowledge and they were trained with like all kinds of like books and other people's writings. All these things were used to train them. And so if I go in and I tell this thing, you know, write me um, a, a chapter of a book on da, 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 da. I mean, really, it's that tool is pulling from something that exists out there in the world that it was pro that was used to program it. So I'm probably drawing from somebody on some somewhere along the line from other people's work that they've put out there. And so just for me, like I'm not down with that, uh, like just in general. But at the same time, from a spiritual perspective, I'm talking about presenting the word of God. See, my goal on a Sunday morning as a pastor, as a preacher it's not to just preach a good sermon. For some, that might be the goal. My goal is not to just preach a good sermon. My goal is to preach, to deliver a message based on revelation and based on what I believe the Lord is speaking in that moment or that day or that month, that season for that series or whatever. Does that make sense? And so I can be led by the Spirit. I'm not always led by the Spirit perfectly. Uh, understatement, but the AI tool is not led by the spirit. So to let it do all of it for it for you. But I mean, this kind of stuff has always been there. Like you can go, you've always been able to go. I mean, for the last 20 years, you've been able to go and download a sermon from somebody else and you can use that and preach that as well. So I don't think this is totally, totally new. It's just the, the quickness of it, the capabilities that we have today to access stuff to help us take shortcuts. I'm all cool with taking shortcuts. I'm all cool with using stuff to, here's the thing. I, I think we should use, we can, if, if you're into it, use these tools to help to enhance the experience, to help enhance the path to teaching, preaching, whatever, in terms of the preparation for it and all of that. But at the end of the day, 
it all needs to be tempered with what is God saying in the moment? What is God saying to me through this? You know, to use it to help you, you know, put better wording, put better language to something that you're having a hard time, you know, just getting the right words for on your own, uh, that kind of stuff. I'm cool with that. I think that can be helpful. Um, so anyway, I think that uh, overall, it's it, AI tools are helpful uh, for ministry purposes. I think we can use them for ministry purposes. I don't have anything against that. I don't think AI is the you know incarnation of the Antichrist. I don't think that AI is demonic in nature. I just don't. Um, I do think, and I've expressed these concerns before, that some of the people that are behind the programming of these things they may have some kind of a weird demonic agenda. I, I did a podcast a, a little while back where I talked about how, you know, a lot of these AI companies are, you know, they come out of the Silicon Valley area. Uh, that area, that San Francisco Bay area is kind of like known for, like there's a lot of people in the area that are very either humanistic or, you know, you have people in that area that are like kind of like anti-human or like that's probably a weird way to say it. what is the word uh extinctionist ideology there's a lot of that kind of floating around so you have people that you know believe in population decrease and by the way this isn't one of my points but we don't need less people on this earth we have plenty of space for people we have plenty of space to put people we're not running out of room Cities are overcrowded sometimes. A lot of our cities, a lot of major cities are overcrowded. But there is so much room in this world if we would just spread out. So, like, no, we don't have a population problem. We don't need to eliminate people. We don't need to. There's, like, this whole extinctionist movement. It's like, well, the resources of Earth are finite. And so we need to gradually start decreasing the population, stop having as many children, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, stupid that that's why we're here. We're here for people. We're here for humans. We're not here to protect the earth. Like the earth is here for us anyway. All right. So, uh, AI for ministry, I'm, I'm, I'm into it, but you know, follow your heart on it. Follow the leading of the Holy spirit on it is more important than following your heart on it. But it's like, uh, you know, just be ethical and don't be, uh, ridiculous. All right. Number seven. <laughs> why did I put this here? I just wrote, why are we so afraid of the devil? I think th oh, this is what this came from. Um, I've just been seeing all these, maybe my algorithm is just screwed up. I don't know, but I've just been seeing so many just posts and clips and different things about, like all these just Christians complaining about the darkness in the world and just pointing out all this stuff, pointing out all this satanic and demonic stuff, the the symbolism and different things like like, oh, that's that's what this means. It's it's that's demonic and pointing out. I saw one the other day of like what it was like Jason Momoa, where they were like pointing out the stuff on the bottom of his skateboard. Uh, dude, I used to skate when I was a kid and I probably accidentally had some, you know, demonic stuff. I don't know for sure, but like I might have had some accidentally demonic stuff that I just didn't know what the symbol meant at the time or whatever. Anyway, 
the whole like the, the Taylor Swift thing at the Super Bowl with Ice Spice and the devil ears. And they've been talking about the symbolism. Now, look, there's some stuff like I get you that is blatantly demonic, you know, like some of the stuff like from the from from the Grammys with that whole thing. Like there, there's for sure there's been blatant demonic stuff out there. But like we're spending so much time. And I say we like, you know, probably not you and me, but. But there's a lot of Christians out there that spend so much time like analyzing these things and looking at these things and just like finding things to like. I'm, and I'm just like, we don't need to at the end of the day, we don't need to be afraid of the devil. The devil is not equal with God. He's not even close. The devil has been defeated. And yeah, so there's demonic stuff in the world. There's satanic stuff in the world. Like there's all kinds of garbage. There's all kinds of stuff like that. But it's like. You don't need to be afraid of it. You have authority as a child of God. We need to learn how to stand in the authority that God has given to us. Jesus lives within us. He's within us. He walks with us. We're in union with Christ. Like we just you don't need to be afraid of the devil and you certainly don't need to be giving the devil like all, all, all kinds of attention and publicity and stuff like that. I think that if we would learn to focus our attention and our energy on Jesus. Like we just don't need to devote like any of this time to, you know, dealing with the devil and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, that's just, that's just my thought. I, I just think we need to be more Jesus focused, more Christ conscious, uh, and less just focused on, these things that happen. I mean, you can't expect, the, I said this the other day, you can't expect the world to act like the church. You can't expect the world to act Christian. The world is not saved. But you are, I hope. I hope you know Jesus and Jesus is in you and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you can be a light in this world. You can be a light in the darkness. And, and I just don't think that our light shines the brightest when we're out there finding stuff to condemn and especially when we're fine when we're being afraid and overwhelmed by things that the enemy is doing stand in the grace and in the power the authority of god walk in love walk in humility walk in compassion uh and he's going to show you opportunities where to speak into somebody's life to to pull somebody up who's who's down who's bound by something um to you know give a word of knowledge or a word of encouragement or whatever the case may be, like he's going to give you those opportunities. You're going to meet those people. You're going to have those encounters. We just need to stop being afraid of stuff that is not like Jesus and recognize that Jesus is in us and we carry his presence with us when we go out into the world. All right. Number eight, Marvel movies. I've been like, I'm a, you know, just huge Marvel fan, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like, after Endgame, it just felt to me like everything dropped off. There were some, there were some bright spots. I thought uh, on Disney, I thought WandaVision was great. I thought most of Loki was 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 pretty cool. Um, she Hulk was garbage. For forgive me if you were into it, uh, <laughs> not a fan. Like, there's been a, a, I mean, the oh man, some of the movies that have come out since since Endgame were. I mean, just rough, just rough. But a bright spot for me recently, I didn't see it in the theaters. I just saw it a couple weeks ago. Um, 
the uh, Marvels. The yeah, that's what it's called, right? The Marvels. Um, very pleasantly surprised. I mean, the problem is, you know, I don't have an expectation of of like greatness anymore with with these with these movies. But um, I was really pleasantly surprised with that one. I thought it was great. I didn't think they did. You know, people were talking about how it's all like girl power and how it's whatever. Like, I didn't get that at all. I I, th I thought it was fantastic. I mean, there's for sure girl power in it. It's three lady superheroes and they're working together. Like the relational element of it is awesome. I, I, I just thought it was great. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't think there was anything like over the top, like, you know, sexual in it or anything like that. Like, I don't know. I'd heard some complaints and some different things. And so I was kind of expecting there to be some some stuff in it, like there to be some, you know, just whatever. And uh, anyway, really pleasantly surprised. Uh, sometimes stuff goes over my head. So if there's stuff that I missed, feel free to let me know. But uh, I was really pleasantly surprised. I thought it was good. I can't remember. I feel like there was probably some language in it. So I don't know, you know, if you have little kids or whatever, might not want them to see it or you preview it first or whatever. But uh, we watched it with our kids. And uh, yeah, just it was just fun. I think it was like an amazing movie, but I, but I just thought it was a lot of fun. I think they got back to some, some basics and I, uh, yeah, overall I thought it was, uh, was, was pretty good. Pretty great. All right. Um, the New York giants. Now you're just, I know I've completely lost anybody that was listening up to this point, but, uh, look, it's been on my mind and that's all I promised for this episode was to talk about the things that have been on my mind. Uh, the New York Giants, I just want to say, I want to get this out early. I think we're going to have a, a pretty good season this year. Um, you know, my expectations were kind of crushed last year, went into the season thinking it was our years. You know, we were going to be doing pretty good with the changes that were made. Um, you know, solid coach, I think, at this point. And, uh, you know, just all the stuff. I was I was excited for the season. This season did not go well um, at all had a lot of problems, but, uh, I've actually got pretty good expectations for going into this new season. I still believe, uh, personally that Daniel Jones, um, you know, I don't think he's going to be a hall of famer, but I think that he's going to, I think he can do a good job for us. So I think we've got some weapons. I think we've got good coaching overall. And, uh, I'm actually surprisingly, I surprised myself I'm looking forward to a good season. I think we're going to have a, I'm just going to put this out there now. I think we're going to have a winning record. You know, I think we'll win uh, nine games. <laughs> so that's my very early prediction. And we'll see if I adjust that as we get closer to kickoff. But anyway, it's February 29th. So we're not even close. We haven't even gone through the draft yet, but um, I've got some some good expectations for the season. Number 10. And I promise you, I'm almost done. I've only got one more after this, and I will end on something spiritual and something positive. Surge pricing at fast food restaurants. I don't know if you heard about this. It wasn't like a huge story. I think it was Wendy's announced like just like a few days ago, a couple days ago or something, that they were going to be experimenting with surge pricing uh, or dynamic pricing starting in 2025 in their restaurants, meaning like if you're familiar with, uh, I used to drive for Uber and surge pricing would be this amazing thing as an Uber driver. And it, it was amazing guys. It was incredible back then when I used to drive for Uber, it's not that way anymore, but it used to be this thing surge pricing when it got really, really busy that fares would get way more expensive. And the thing about it is it was on this system where it wouldn't just go. I think now what they do is 
it's like the fare is three more dollars or five more dollars or something like that. And it's very, very capped. It used to be, bro, where like it could get so busy that you could the, the surge pricing would be a multiple and it would show you it'd be like, you know, like 2x, 3x. And the thing about it is if it stayed busy, it would just keep going up. So, I mean, I remember one night being out there and it was like a 9x. It was very, very normal for it to get up to like either 5.9 or six times the fare. That would happen regularly. But like, I mean, I saw times where it was like seven, eight, nine times the fare. So if it's like eight times the fare and it's normally a $20 ride, it's $160 for that trip. And so we were like making bank and cleaning up on like New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day and, you know, just like busy nights downtown in, in the uh, downtown Mobile, Alabama scene where I was like the bar scene, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning when everybody starts going home, driving drunk people home. Not always the best experiences out there, but um, man, when they had that surge price and you could really clean up anyway, Wendy's or fast food chains started talking about experimenting with surge pricing or dynamic pricing, meaning that at the busiest times that food would cost more. And then maybe at the less busy times that food would cost less. I don't really know. When I looked into it a little bit, when I first saw the thing, I was like, so wait, they're going to charge people more. I don't know if it's that they were going to charge more or if they were going to have like a set price for peak times and then it was going to be less um, at less busy times. If it's that, I'm okay with it. But I remember the way that I read it, the way that I understood it was that things were going to cost more like at the lunch rush and dinner rush and stuff like that. And I was just thinking like, that is ridiculous. And apparently they got so much backlash over it that within a couple of days, they've already kind of said, all right, we're not doing it. <laughs> we're not going to do it. So that was Wendy's. I don't know if uh, there's other fast food uh, chains out there that are going to experiment with it or if they're going to kick the can. Sometimes they put a feeler out. You know, this happens sometimes like in the, in the media, like, like the, they'll put a feeler out and they'll say, we're thinking about experimenting with this. And then they get so much backlash over it that they just backpedal say, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to do it. Then like two to three years down the line, you'll see it kind of rolled out in a different kind of a way. And then they kind of test the waters to see they, I think they got so much just complaining about this that they just we were like, nope, can't do it. It's not time yet. And so they, they backpedaled. They said, we're not going to do that. But I was just almost thinking like, you know what? I wish they would do that. I wish they would do that because I know for me, if a restaurant, like a particularly a fast food restaurant starts doing stuff like that, which to me, you know, again, I'd have to look into it and see, but it seems like you're doing that to take advantage of people during like a time where they don't have a choice. People are on their lunch break. Like, you know, they've got to go somewhere and get something to eat and you're going to give it to them quickly and whatever. So like, you're going to capitalize on dynamic pricing and I know you're going to put it off and you're going to say, well, no, it's really designed to give people a break in the less busy times. And it's designed to enhance the customer experience. And you're going to try to say all that, but like most of these gigantic companies, the moves that they're making are to satisfy their own bottom line. Right? So yeah, dude, like if you are saying as a fast food restaurant, which is not a necessity. It's not like some people think it's an, it might be a necessity. It might feel like a necessity because like, you know, you only get 30 minutes for your lunch break and you got to get something quick or whatever. It might feel like a necessity, but I promise you 
if these restaurants, they start doing stuff like this where it's blatant or at least it's coming across that they're taking advantage of people, I think there's going to be like a, a mass like boycott of this stuff. Or maybe it's just, well, we're not going to go there during those times. And, and you know, I just think business will, will begin to lose revenue. I just don't, I just can't imagine this working, at least working long term. I don't know. I just can't, I just can't see it. But anyway, I was thinking, I almost wish they would do it because then I feel like a lot of people would just say, all right, well, I'm just not going to go there anymore. And then maybe figure out like a healthier way to eat. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I was almost kind of thinking, you know, I wish they would do that because that would give me a reason to just not ever go there again. Just because for me, for the principle, I'm just one of those people where I'm like, sometimes I get on a high horse about stuff. I don't know if you've noticed. Sometimes I get on a high horse about stuff. And if it's the principle of the thing, like I just won't go back somewhere. I don't think I've been to an Applebee's in like eight years because I went into this Applebee's one night and... I got the worst service that I've ever had. Uh, the 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 server was just horrible. I mean, and I don't look. I'm the. I will give you a good tip, even if you're bad. Usually, but it wasn't. It wasn't just that she was bad. The thing that really kicked it up over the edge for me is that I actually i I spoke to a manager about it, and I wasn't. And I didn't go to the manager to like complain about the server it was about the situation the server didn't take care of it for me so i want asked to speak with a manager and when i told the manager about the situation and again i wasn't complaining about the human being i was complaining about the the food about the situation the, the experience of the restaurant i escalated it to a manager and the manager didn't care. The manager didn't, wasn't interested in helping me. The manager didn't act like it was a problem. And so that just made me furious. Cause I'm like, yo, like I've worked in restaurants for, for years. I've worked in customer service for years and I, I get it. The customer is not always right. I don't believe that the customer is always right. The customer is almost always right in terms of like, you know, you just want to satisfy people. Cause the last thing you want is for them to go out and write a bad review or complain to corporate. And then you're having to, you know, send them a gift card. It's taken out of your budget. Like it's all that kind of, kind of stuff that happens that it's like, you want to avoid that at all costs. So uh, in terms of that, the customer is almost always right. There are times where the customer is not right. There's times where the customer is just clearly trying to get over on the establishment. Look, dude, I've worked in restaurants forever. I would never try to do those things. I was not trying to get over on this restaurant. I think I had hair in my food. I think the food was cold. It was like just stuff. It was it was just a terrible experience. And I told a manager because I just wanted them to know and like maybe fix the situation. And the server didn't care. The manager didn't care. And I was like, I'm never coming back here again. I never went back to that Applebee's again for sure. I don't think I've ever gone to an Applebee's since then. And I would today. I'm not like harboring this huge grudge. I don't think I need inner healing. Maybe I do. Pray for me. Uh I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm there. Like I would go to Applebee's tonight. All right. So I, I think I'm over it. I'm just saying, I'm kind of like a, sometimes I get on this like principle high horse thing where it's like, if you do something where I feel like as a customer trying to come in and patronize your establishment, I think that you should at least be willing or at least care on some level 
to offer some kind of customer service, to offer something. And if I feel like you're not doing that, I will take a principled stand. And so I feel like something like this, dynamic pricing, surge pricing at restaurants during peak times, that would be enough for me to say, well, I'll never go there again. And then, you know, that's just some other unhealthy food off the list that I just don't have to worry about eating anymore because it's kind of out of the periphery of my mind. So anyway, I was just thinking, hey, this might be a good thing if they do something like that and it kind of turns people off and people stop going, maybe get healthier. That's all I'm saying. So surge pricing at fast food restaurants, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Last thing I want to talk about, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It's probably my favorite verse. Paul writes, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That's what the New King James Version says, which is kind of my primary go-to version of the Bible that I like. Um, but I also am a really big fan of the Passion Translation. And I like what the Passion says there. It says, walk in, it's a, uh, in union with Christ. Actually, is that the Passion or is that the Amplified? I can't remember now. One of these versions of the Bible that I supplement with. Uh, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in union with him. You've received Jesus. If you are born again, you're a child of God, you've given your life to Jesus. He lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's in you. But it's like, as you've received Jesus, so walk in him. You've received him. Now make the choice, make the conscious decision, make the, the I don't want to really use the effort word, but uh, the F word, the effort word, the... <laughs> Uh, I'm not using the F word here, guys. The if, if you you've received Jesus, but now it's like the choice, the decision to walk in him. Walk in him, walk in union with him. Recognize that you are in union with God. It doesn't get closer than that. It doesn't get close. You begin your relationship with Jesus in his face. You begin your relationship with Jesus in un in oneness with him. You're one with the Father because of what Jesus did for you. It's nothing to get prideful about. It's nothing to brag about because you didn't do it. He did it. He did all of it. He did it all for you. He put you into himself so that you could walk in this place of union with him. It's incredible. It's your identity. It's who you are. It's your new creation in Christ Jesus. So I just want to encourage you as I wrap this up. I, I was thinking about this recently. I think about this a lot. I think about this all the time. As you've received him, walk in him. As you've received him, walk in union with him. You know, I think so often we settle for like just enough of whatever. Like we'll settle for like, I don't know, talking about our relationship with him. We'll settle for talking about the good church service. We'll settle for um, you know, reading a, a few Bible verses in the morning, we'll settle, whatever it might be. But I feel like we settle for like the religious feeling we get from our relationship with him when we've got real true fullness and newness of life every single day. We've got abundance with God available to us every single day, the abundance of his presence, the joy of knowing him, of being found in him, of being one with him, of being united in him. We have this. He's real. He's a real person. We talk about the presence of God. The presence of God is not a thing. The presence of God is not an it. it it's Jesus, him. 
He is with you. He is in you. You have access to him right now. He's made you free. He has set you free. But now guess what? You've got to walk in that freedom. Because even though he made you free, you can still choose to live in bondage. You can still choose to live in fear. You can still choose to live depressed. You can still choose to live all these things. I'm not saying that everything that comes your way, everything that comes upon you is a choice. I get bad things happen. I, I, I get all kinds of negative things come into your mind and whatever. I'm not saying that everything is a choice, but you can choose to walk in him. You can choose, even if you didn't choose the circumstances, you can choose Jesus. You can choose to walk in him. You can choose to live aware and conscious of the reality of his presence and the reality of his goodness, the goodness of the father is lavished on you every single day of your life. And so often I just think we miss it because we're so just bogged down by confusion and by fear and by lies of the enemy and just from a faulty understanding of our identity and who we are in Christ. And we live as if we are like distant relatives of God where no, you are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. You've been brought in as an heir You've been brought in as a co-heir with Jesus. That means that you get the same stuff that Jesus gets because he brought you with him. The amazing miracle of, you know, Philippians chapter two. I love the, that passage of scripture. It talks about the mindset of Jesus, how he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He came in the form of sinful flesh. He didn't come in sinful flesh. He came in the form of, or the likeness of sinful flesh. He never sinned. He was perfect. But he came as a man in finite frailty human flesh, and he laid his life down. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And the Father has therefore highly exalted him, given him the name that is above every other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess. Jesus was exalted by the Father to that place. But the thing is, Jesus had that place from the beginning. But the point is he came to this world in submission to the father, in obedience to the father, and he laid his life down and he did it perfectly as the representation for humanity so that he could raise to newness of life and bring us with him. That as you were crucified with Christ, so you've also been raised to life with Christ. You live in, you walk in that newness of resurrection life. That is who you are. You belong to him and you are one with him. You are in the father. You are in Christ. His spirit is in you. This is who you are. You are not distant. You are not separated. And there are all these people out there that are going to tell you, well, you're cursed with a curse because you didn't tithe this week. And you're cursed with a curse because you cursed that curse out of your mouth. And they want to talk about the curses you're under and they want to talk about stuff that's fearful and Don't say it out loud, but just in your heart, <laughs> just tell, just say to those people, just tell them to shut up. Don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to hurt anybody's feelings, but just know that you are one with the living God because of what he did for you. He didn't ask your permission. He did it for you. He did it for you. He did it because he loves you. He gave his life. He laid himself down. 
in absolute brokenness because he wanted to raise you to newness of life with him. And the miracle of that, when Jesus raised to life and was exalted to the Father, he brought us with him. He brought us with him. We're in Christ. He is the firstborn from the dead. He, he did it all in representation of humanity. I'm not sure if representation is the perfect word there or not, but he did it for us. He did it to bring us with him, to bring us into the presence of the Father. Where only um, righteousness can inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, he made you righteous. He made you righteous. You don't stand in your own righteousness anymore because of what Jesus did. Well, I haven't been perfect this week. I haven't done this. I haven't said this. I haven't done that. I said this. I did this. I did that. I hurt this person. I whatever. And so I can't. It's not your righteousness that gets you access to the Father. It's Jesus's righteousness. And he gave it to you with what he did. So your sin, your mess-ups, your mistakes, they don't make you unrighteous. You have a right as a child of God to be in the presence of your heavenly Father, to know him, to talk to him, to hear his voice, to have relationship with him, to have fellowship with him. And, you know, contrary to what you maybe have been told, God's not mad at you because you messed up. And he's not distant from you because you messed up. And because you sinned, it does not mean that you're separated from God. Your sins can't separate you from God anymore. Now, I get it that when we mess up and we go our own way, like we become desensitized to his voice, to his leading, and we can very much feel distant and separated. I get all that. But God hasn't changed his mind about you. And if you'll just simply make the choice to come to him and to say, God, I just thank you for this reality that I'm your child, that I belong to you. And just allow his love to renew you, to refresh you, to wash over you. I, I just think there's somebody that needs a revelation of the father's love, of the father heart of God today. And if that's you, uh, just slip up your hand. Just kidding. Just joking. <laughs> it, but if <laughs> church joke for anybody. Anyway. Uh, but, but if that's you just recognize he's, he's right there. You're in him. You're one with him. He's not distant. You don't have any hoops to jump through to gain his favor, to gain his approval. You have it. You have it. Cause he qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. So you don't have to keep qualifying yourself because he qualified you once and for all. Just don't buy into that lie that says you're not enough. The Father thinks you are enough. The Father thinks you are incredible. The Father thinks you are to die for, and he proved it. To Jesus, you are to die for. That's why he died for you. So, God, if there is anybody, I know this was all over the place, and a lot of it was silly and whatever, but even just in this moment, I just ask that if there is anybody that uh, just needs a just fresh touch from you to know your love, God. I, I just ask you that you would just captivate their heart, overwhelm their heart with the love of the Father. Let them know your love, God, in a new way, in a fresh way. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave literally everything for us 
You did it for love. I thank you for this privilege we have to know you, to walk with you, to be found in you, to be one with you, that you don't hold back from us. You don't hold blessing back from us. You're not withholding blessing from us. You're not waiting for us to prove ourselves. Thank you for qualifying us to be one with you. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining me for my epic rant session. I don't think I've ever ranted that much on a podcast before. But uh, look, if you stuck around for the journey, I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe or leave a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms, Facebook page, YouTube channel, however it is that you're checking this out. And uh, again, really, really appreciate you guys just uh, for everything that you do. So yeah, leap day. We've still got some, what, for me in central time zone, got a handful of hours left in this leap day. Only happens once every four years. It's an extra day. So I was like, hey, let's do something with this extra day. Let's talk about all this stuff that I haven't had a chance to talk about. So anyway, bless you guys. Hope you have an awesome one. And I look forward to seeing you on a future podcast episode. Bye-bye.